0: And so I think that's more of what we see as our journey. I think we would almost equate ourselves more akin to an alcohol brand than mm-hmm. a maybe a traditional CPG snack brand. I think we see ourselves as developing more of a lifestyle brand versus I think a lot of traditional CPG brands. And again, I think this also goes on brand with us going against the grain a little bit, where a lot of brands' goals, right, is to get into you know XYZ grocery store. Whereas that isn't necessarily our goal. I mean, that might be a byproduct of Mm -hmm. what happens, but our goal is to create a lifestyle around mushrooms, basically. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a
1: podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands. From developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I'm really happy today to have Marilyn Yang with me, who is the CEO and co-founder of Fun Gal Snacks, which is the parent company of Papadelics, which is a crunchy mushroom chips brand, which I'm really happy to have her talk about.
0: So welcome to the podcast, Marilyn. Thanks again, Christy. We're excited to be here.
1: Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about you and both companies and how you wound up doing what you're doing.
0: Yeah, definitely. So me and my co-founder, Mike Casale, we are both actually from the finance world. So I'm from more of a private equity background. He's from more of a VC investing background, but we were always those people in finance and I don't think we're that rare, but you know, that person in finance always wanted to start our own thing, but we just never had the right idea come to mind, but it was always the back in our heads that we wanted to start a company of some sort. And I guess it took COVID for us to really come up with that idea. And we are a couple as well. We like to joke that we're partners in both business and in life. We're based in New York City. So especially during COVID, we were very much so cooped up in an apartment together. So a lot of time to brainstorm, as you can imagine. And what ultimately became Fungal Snacks and Papadelics, it really came up very organically. So we're both huge foodies and we both love mushrooms. In retrospect, it makes a ton of sense what we're doing now. But what happened during COVID is that the only time we really had to satisfy our foodie desires basically was to go to the grocery store. And so we started being really adventurous and just trying new stuff in the snack aisle. I started getting really into the cauliflower chips and some chickpea snacks. And it just came up very organically one day. Like, oh, if they're making chips out of cauliflower, they better be making chips out of mushrooms. And we figured it was something that existed already because it didn't seem that out there of an idea to us. But we wanted some mushroom chips to eat. So we went out and tried to find some online and you know wherever else. And we couldn't really find anything in stores. And what we were able to find was unbranded, unflavored, and unexciting, which was kind of surprising to us because it just felt like a lot of lost potential. Obviously, we didn't turn around and decided we were, we were going to be the ones to solve that right away. But being mushroom lovers, we kind of started seeing already that there's been a lot of more public interest in mushrooms. So even friends that I've had that would never talk about mushrooms started asking, me about my favorite mushroom stuff because i have kind of known as kind of the mushroom person in my friend circle. So it makes a ton of sense to them that I started this company too. And it seemed like the good timing. So it seemed like it was finally at the point where mushrooms were reaching, I guess, an inflection point in the public consciousness where there wasn't anything out there yet, but people were looking for it. And also, I guess, combined with us kind of being bored during COVID, not having much else going on, it was a good time personally for us to start a company as well. And so All the signs pointed that this was the idea we've been waiting for. And we decided to pull the trigger and start the company. So this would have been actually July of 2020. That
1: is a crazy timing to start a company, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Um, (laughs) Talk about the decision. I mean, you say it very casually, like we just decided to start a brand, but it can't be that casual, right? Because you were making a huge decision to do something that was going to take all your time all your resources. So do you feel like you knew what you were in for when you made the decision or are you finding out along the way?
0: I think we knew generally that it would take a ton of work. I think we were thinking for a very long time about starting a company. And so I think that helped. Like we were very conscious that we wanted to start a company. I think the main thing was just that we never settled on an idea that we actually wanted to mm-hmm. take and run with. So I think it was multiple years in the making before we ultimately came to this idea And then once we came up with the idea, we, I think we spent at least two, three months really diving in and looking at the competitive landscape, really seeing and confirming that there really isn't anything out there, at least not to the extent that we want to do it ourselves Mm -hmm. in terms of a, a fun, edgy, modern brand centered around mushrooms. And then also doing kind of the macro research where we saw, you know, I think even more so now than back in 2020 that people were really kind of dying for more mushroom stuff. I mean, even in clothing stores, right, I'm seeing, you know, mushroom print sweaters. It just felt like, again, the stars kind of aligned to where we've been wanting to start a company for a long time. And this kind of seemed like it checked all the boxes.
1: And so are you guys both all in now? Like, is this what you both are doing full time? Or do you still have other things?
0: Yeah, so Mike's actually full-time very recently, actually, as of, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, wow. Technically, yeah. So he's more recently full-time. I'm actually still in my day job. Mm -hmm. And actually, I guess this makes it sound pretty crazy, but I also run another startup in the fashion e-commerce space. And so, yeah, I'm kind of juggling a lot of different things at once. But I feel like I, I kind of thrive almost on having a lot of stuff going on. It mm-hmm. makes it kind of forces you to be ultra efficient. And I'm already kind of consider myself an efficient person. But I think having all of these things at once has made everything actually better.
1: Interesting. So you have a pretty full, full dance card, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, it's funny, though, because I feel like I still get, you know, I think seven hours of sleep or something like that. And I'm not one of those crazy executives or founders that only sleeps like four hours a day by any means.
1: Interesting. So tell me about the journey. So you decided to start a brand. You wanted to start a mushroom snack brand. What was it like to get all that going, figure out how to manufacture, where
0: to source packaging? Like You've done everything relatively recently. Oh, for sure. And I, I think the first and foremost, we had a ton of help. So I can't take all the credit for ourselves, but I think first and foremost, we really leveraged our network. And actually, I think in particular, I think the first thing we wanted to do, right, was develop the product. And neither my co-founder, Mike, nor myself really cooks at all. So we don't have any sort of CPG or culinary background. We wouldn't even know where to start in terms of actually cooking or formulating the ingredients or figuring out how to make a mushroom chip. And so we almost immediately knew we would need some sort of R&D consultant of some sort And actually how we found the group we ended up working with, which is an amazing food consultancy, or actually really CPG startup consultancy called Rodeo CPG, it was really serendipitous. So I'm also an angel investor. And so I invested in a number of, you know, various startups. And there was a woman who was running a smoothie company that I've been speaking to for, I think, at least a year before we ultimately founded Fungal Snacks and Papadelics. But when we did make that decision, she was one of the first people I spoke to asking about her advice, actually, you know, when you got started, who did you use, you know, how'd you get going? And she actually had the founder of Rodeo on her board. And so she was able to make that kind of introduction for us and they were just a great fit because they work almost exclusively with startups they themselves started their own cpg brands for the most part and their r&d lab was local in brooklyn not that it actually mattered because during covid we were kind of mailing everything and doing everything remotely but it was just kind of good to know that you know we had kind of a local person helping us and so that was first and foremost they were instrumental i think we had very clear ideas for what our flavors would be but we really needed someone to bring that to life and I think they were kind of instrumental in helping us do that in the early days.
1: I love them. I've had Zach on the podcast, actually. I don't know if you know that, but I think they're oh, cool. Yeah. Good position. Yeah. So that's really cool that you worked with them. And tell me how they helped you, like for everything from manufacturing
0: to sourcing, all the things. Yeah. So they have, I think they even added more services than from when yeah. we started working with them, I think very recently. Yep. But when we started working with them, they had just actually started their R&D consultancy practice. And I think we may have even been one of their first clients, if not the first client at the time. I remember they were just wow. kind of in that transition period, which yeah, which is wow. pretty crazy. But yeah, so I think they have now, I think they started out as mostly supply chain manufacturing, but I think they have other kind of arms now too. But we, yeah, we started working with them and for R&D, we did ultimately also work with them in terms of supply chain and that mm-hmm. initial setup. So they were instrumental in helping us once we developed the product. And it was kind of a natural progression because they were the ones who knew kind of what the product was when they first developed it and helped us instrumentally there. They kind of knew what ingredients would be needed thereafter. And so they helped us find our suppliers and actually our current co-manufacturer as well. Wow. That's a lot to take on. Yeah, for sure. I think we definitely wouldn't have been able to do it at least as quickly without their help. I think, you know, we launched our product in April of this year. And I guess all in all, it was less than two years from, I guess, the time we formally incorporated yeah. up until when we launched the product. And we definitely wouldn't have been able to do it that quickly, especially during COVID without a group like them.
1: So tell me about the launch of the product. How has it gone? April's not that long ago. So talk about the launch and how you feel like it's all going.
0: Yeah, I think it's been great overall. But I think, interestingly, things are happening in maybe a slightly different order than we would have thought. So when we first started, our plans was to be you know d to c only, basically. Uh-huh. And I think we quickly found that in some ways it's you know harder and easier than you think to get into certain retail stores. I think that's kind of how it always ends across all industries. But I think in some ways we were surprised that at least for the independent natural food stores, it was much easier actually mm-hmm. or quicker. I don't know if it was easier, but it was just much quicker of a process than we anticipated. Because I think part of why we weren't planning to go retail at all is that we were like, oh, well, even, you know, your neighborhood natural food store might want, you know, several meetings and you have to negotiate. Mm-hmm. And you know, we, we thought it would just be a longer process than it ended up being. But it ended up being as simple as, you know, we sent them a cold email. In many cases, they said they wanted samples. We sent samples and then, you know, a couple weeks later, they place an order. So we were very quickly able to get much quicker traction than we thought. And it was a much quicker process than we thought to where we started shifting more of our focus there as well. So I wouldn't say we shifted our focus completely, but it was more like an add-on where we weren't planning on focusing there at all. We're now focusing on that on top of our core, I would say both online and offline D2C. So we obviously have, you know, papadelics.com and Amazon, but I think at the core, we're very much so focused on live events.
1: Mm -hmm. I think our
0: our snack is just so experiential. And so we love just getting people to try it physically. And so we do a lot of vegan vegetarian festivals. We actually even do music festivals. We were a sponsor of this year, actually last month's Electric Zoo Music Festival, which is a really large EDM music festival in New Mm -hmm. York. We actually have another music event at Barclays Center in New York that we'll be sponsoring later this fall. And so we love live events. So both D2C online and offline. But now on top of that, we've also been doing a lot of I would say more non-traditional retail so it's mostly independent natural food stores mm-hmm. we're actually in over 12 states already um wow. and also we're in i think in the late stages of possibly being in a non-food retailer as well so kind of we're also going kind of going after some more non-traditional retail outlets that have shown interest in our products so so yeah again i think things have happened very quickly but also in, in somewhat different ways than we would have expected
1: so talk about the challenges, because it sounds like a lot of things are going the way you want them to. I and mean, it sounds like you've got some pretty quick traction, which leads me to believe there was actually a market need that you were filling, which is really cool. What have you been challenged by? What things happened that you didn't expect or that you're still sort of like, I'm not
0: sure how we're going to deal with this stuff? Yeah, I think we were able to pivot pretty quickly. And actually from my other business that I'm involved with, this is where it almost helps And I'm involved in other companies and other industries, but For the fashion startup I'm involved with, that actually started up a bit earlier than we started out with Fungal Snacks and Papadelics, but they really struggled with digital marketing. So we were spending a lot of, we're putting a lot of our budgets into running, you know, Instagram, Facebook ads, and basically getting very little ROI at all. So I think from that experience, I think we very quickly, at least for Fungal Snacks and Papadelics, we're very cautious about any sort of digital marketing spend. and instead we've kind of been allocating those dollars into these live events that Mm -hmm. have much better ROI, at least from what we've seen. But we do think eventually we will need to kind of do more digital marketing. We're basically not doing any digital marketing at all. And actually, all the growth we've had, and we actually have a very much so a growing online business from largely guerrilla marketing and PR, traditional PR, that is. And so it will be interesting for us to eventually have to figure out, I think, how to Incorporate some more digital marketing presence because I think at some point we will need to incorporate that. It's just been more of a challenge, I think, than we would have thought. But I think that's an industry wide thing we've heard where a lot of people are struggling with that right now.
1: Really rough time right now because of the privacy policy and because of what happened with Facebook and Instagram. And so it's been very challenging to really show ROI with digital, especially paid social at the moment. But I think it'll change a little bit. And, you know, there's just different schools of thought. Like if you're building a brand, you need to have some level of awareness. And I think that paid social is really good for that. But if you're thinking about conversion and you really need to show one-to-one, like I spend this, I get this back, maybe not the place to go at the moment.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think we are doubling down a bit more on organic social on that front. Mm -hmm. So we have focused more there. We recently brought on a new agency that's more Gen Z focused, in particular, to really help develop some of our TikTok content. And so I think Mm -hmm. we've kind of shifted in some ways also more of a focus towards, in addition to live events, into organic social.
1: Yep. That makes
0: a lot of sense.
1: And what about raising money? Have you guys done a
0: capital raise or are you thinking about it? It's funny. I think when we started the company, I think we had a very conscious plan to not raise money Mm -hmm. outside capital. I think part of that is coming from the capital world, Mm -hmm. capital provider world. I knew firsthand how, for some of the companies, for example, in my private equity career, we breathed down their necks. There's yeah. there's no doubt about it. We tell our CEOs what to do and they do it. Yeah. And that just wasn't something I personally wanted for us, mm-hmm. at least at this stage. I think maybe eventually, but I think it was important for us in the early stages to have full control over our vision. And I think we were fortunate enough to be able to self-fund, especially as we have stayed in our day jobs, essentially for as long as we have needed to or had to, or even could, I guess. But I think that was a very conscious decision. But interestingly, we've gotten a ton of inbounds Mm -hmm. since launching. And part of that is, you know, we've been to a few trade shows and there's always investors at trade shows and whatnot. And so we've got a lot of interesting inbounds. And in particular, I think there are certain more strategic investors that we're maybe a bit more open to. I wouldn't say we're formally capital raising, but we are entertaining conversations with inbound interest from individuals and firms that we feel like add more strategic value because we aren't looking for money just for the sake of getting money. I think we really would be looking for a partner who can help either accelerate our growth, augment our growth with their network. And so we're speaking to a few, I think there's a theme here, we're we're pretty non-traditional on all fronts. So it's definitely on brand, but we're speaking to a few non-traditional investors. So I wouldn't even call them VCs at this point. They're semi-strategics.
1: Interesting. And what kind of stuff do you want them to help you with? Like when you think about the kinds of growth you're looking for and you talk about wanting someone to help you accelerate that, can you be more specific?
0: Yeah, I think a big channel we want to blow up is the events channel actually. And so there are a few maybe investment firms that have more of a philosophy of growing via live events. And so that, for example, is a channel that we see a lot of value in also strategic brand partnerships, whether that's with a celebrity or otherwise, or you know mm-hmm. maybe it's with another brand. And so I think that's more of what we see as our journey. I think we would almost equate ourselves more akin to an alcohol brand than mm-hmm. a, maybe a traditional CPG snack brand. I think we see ourselves as developing more of a lifestyle brand versus, I think, a lot of traditional CPG brands. And again, I think this also goes on brand with us going against the grain a little bit where... A lot of brands' goals, right, is to get into you know XYZ grocery store, whereas that isn't necessarily our goal. I mean, that might be a byproduct of mm-hmm. what happens, but our goal is to create a lifestyle around mushrooms, basically, of all sorts, and also champion what we call underloved veggies. So I know we didn't touch upon our corporate entity, so Papa Delux is the first of what we hope to be a family of brands that essentially kind of champion the forgotten vegetables, Mm -hmm. not that mushrooms are a vegetable, but there's so much more essentially to food than just kale chips, potato chips, corn chips.
1: Yep. 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 And have you launched another product yet
0: or are you in development on new things or are you just waiting to see how this one goes? Yeah, we have a lot of ideas. I think we're almost looking at papadelics like the case study. So, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously we're very much so focused on papadelics right now. I don't think we want to be spread too thin in terms of trying to launch other Mm -hmm. things per se, but I think depending on where Papadelics goes, say, in the next two, three years, let's say, we would use that exact same playbook to, at that point, then launch a new product that isn't maybe mushroom-focused, but Mm -hmm. it's a new brand focused on, you know, whatever else that next vegetable would be. Talk about the name. I'm curious to know how you came to Papadelics. Yeah. So actually, we can't take full credit for that either. We used a boutique marketing and branding agency based in Florida. They're called Fresh Made. We actually found them on Google. So this was one of those cold outreach kind of. But at the time, we were vetting a ton of different marketing and branding agencies. And they just felt like the best fit in terms of they were a very lean team. They focused almost exclusively on... Actually, they do focus exclusively on natural food type Mm -hmm. products, whether it's a snack or a pet food or whatever it may be. And we just really felt like they understood our vision the most. But essentially, you know, we were kind of contemplating multiple potential names with them. I think what we really liked about Papadalex, and first of all, we were surprised that it is actually a real word. So it's not a made up word, in fact, but it's a word that means of the likeness of pop stars. And I think it was Mm -hmm. used in a Billboard music article at some point or something like that, which also fits with, you know, our desire to go into the events channel, for example. But then also it kind of emanates what our product is because when you eat Papa it's a pop of flavor and it really stands out versus even other snacks. And so we kind of wanted to, the name to kind of emanate that. And also I think we're trying to be a bit cheeky here too. I think a Mm -hmm. lot of people, when you say, you know, mushrooms, they maybe jump to psychedelics before they jump to shiitake. (laughs) So, um, you know, our products are obviously shiitake mushrooms. And part of that is kind of the cheekiness of the brand overall. We are kind of, again, I think we're going against the grain, kind of challenging the status quo a little bit. So we did kind of want to be slightly edgy there. And there is kind of a direct connection to alongside founding the company. We did start a foundation, a charitable foundation as well. So a portion of all proceeds does go towards our foundation, which in turn actually supports research into the use of psilocybin to treat mental health. So we are indirectly supporting actually the, you know, the psychedelic industry. And so there is a direct tie there as well. Whereas our product, obviously is just shiitake mushrooms, but again, we're kind of nodding to all of those things at once.
1: Wow. That's amazing. That's very cool. Talk about where you want to be in two years, five years.
0: Yeah. I think we would love to be essentially kind of known as the event snack. I think that would kind of be, what we're working towards, like kind of the mainstay, like you go to any music festival, kind of like with Red Bull, maybe with energy drinks, or maybe Heineken, mm-hmm. let's say, where you go to a sporting venue, you go to a music festival, and you just know you'll see Papadelics. Yeah, I think that would be kind of maybe our, you know, high level vision of where that might be. But I think even just seeing it in kind of more places, I think, in general, I think would be really cool to see. So again, we we do have some pretty near term, really exciting kind of sales channels coming out. So actually people will be able to see our product in some very interesting places very soon. But I think we want to kind of do that in even a larger scale, let's say the next two, three years. And talk
1: about the events thing, because I think that's really interesting and it's not a completely unheard of way to do what you're doing, but it's definitely not the traditional path. So can you talk a little bit about why that mattered so much to you and why you thought that would be a good way for you guys to go?
0: Yeah I think it kind of was multiple things percolating or kind of combining at once. So there was you know we we were seeing that digital marketing probably wasn't actually the best way to actually convey what our product is because a lot of people just haven't actually really had a ton of mushrooms in their lives. Yep. And so people have a lot of misconceptions about mushrooms they think they don't like it and I say they think they don't like it because they most likely just haven't had either a mushroom they like cuz there's so many different types of mushrooms. Now I like mushrooms but I don't even like all varieties, right? So they probably just haven't mm-hmm. tried enough to know what they like. And on top of that, they don't quite understand that, you know, mushrooms don't have to all be kind of that mushy texture that you think they might. Whereas our product, they are crunchy mushroom chips. They are like a tortilla chip. They're like a pretzel in texture. And you just can't really convey that in even the best kind of ad. And Mm -hmm. so we found that really, especially because we see ourselves as kind of being a pioneer in a space that basically doesn't exist. I think adoption and kind of customer education is actually much better done in person. So we found the reactions are much more drastic when you, you know, you might see an ad online, but you're like, yeah, whatever. Like, I don't believe that. Whereas if you give them the mushroom chip in person, they're like, you know, just watching their faces, it's like a noticeable like shock yeah. <laughs> that we watch. Yeah. And we love watching yeah. this when we do all our live events where they're like, wow, I, you know, first of all, this doesn't even taste like a mushroom. Like, wow, it's crunchy. <laughs> Even when it, when we prime them, like, oh, yeah, it's crunchy. But they're like, oh, wow, it's crunchy. That's and amazing. so I think you don't get that kind of reaction other than getting to people on the ground. And that's why I think we see events as kind of almost critical to be able to kind of educate others about our product. And it's also a fun marketing channel as well, because, you know, you see a bunch of brands having success in that space, mostly in beverages, but there's no reason why that can't translate to more of a food product.
1: Interesting. And you said that that was working for you from a return perspective, like the events. How are you monitoring that? How do you know?
0: Yeah, I would say we're not maybe super, super scientific about it. But for example, like when we ran ads, right, we would get, I don't know, two sales out of, you know, yep. spending thousands and thousands of dollars. Yep. Whereas we do a live event, for example, we did vegan Dale, which is a large vegan food festival here in New York City. You know, we basically I think our we weren't tracking this exactly, but if we were to eyeball everyone that came by tried it and if they bought or not, it was like a 80% wow. you know, hit rate. Right. So you need to be targeted, right? With the types of events you do where the people are already maybe open to it. But I think it is just such a high conversion rate when people are already somewhat interested or curious, they come to our booth, they try it. It's just such a very, you know, it's just like almost like at least 50%, like almost every other person will be like, this is amazing. Give me a bag.
1: Uh Uh-huh. And so I get the, some of the events you talked about are no brainers, right? You're at vegan events. That's what people are there for. But what about the EDM events? Like how did that become a thing for you guys? And how does that work when you're there?
0: Yeah, that's kind of a more personal thing too. We both like EDM Mm -hmm. and it it was funny when we first started the company. One of the first things, this was before we even had a brand or even a product, we were like, oh yeah, we have to get it into Izu. And so it was just one of those like, kind of like, you know, little dreams we had like to do. And it was kind of crazy. We were able to do that so quickly after launching. But that's part of what I was talking about earlier, where we want to be a lifestyle brand. Yeah. So on top of being kind of a way to reach a broader audience, because we see our snacks as being mainstream, not just necessarily for the natural food enthusiasts, we see it having broader appeal. Because taste-wise, when we were developing the product, we want it to be just as good as Lay's or yep. you know, whatever, yep. Stacy's, yep. whatever, unhealthy chip or whatever. So I think that because of that, it doesn't just appeal to a niche audience. It has broad mainstream appeal, ultimately. And so we feel like doing events kind of helps kind of maybe drive the product to a broader audience while also building that lifestyle around the brand. You know, we're we're kind of building that persona of what it means to be a Papadalex consumer. That's awesome. That's really cool. And uh, and do you capture content everywhere you go? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's funny because, you know, obviously, like many entrepreneurs, we still do a lot of the things ourselves. You know, we we do have, of course, a team helping us. But, yeah, I'm pretty much, you know, on my phone at all these events doing all of our live stories. But, but Yeah. yeah, it's a ton of great content that we get at these events. I think it's a fun Kind of way to get content too, because you know, you have people dancing with your snacks and yeah, their hands. It's really fun content too.
1: Yeah. When you think about lifestyle, I mean, that's a great way to do it because it's real. It's not like you're staging people in places with your product, it's happening at those events, which I think is really interesting.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, I think we see any, you know, kind of a win win, right? It's getting our products to a new audience, getting great content, but also building kind of that lifestyle panache. Mm-hmm. When
1: you think about I don't know if you work with other small companies or if you ever give advice, but I always ask during these podcasts, do you have advice for someone who's thinking about starting a brand, things that you've learned along the way that you would want to share so that people either can not make mistakes that have happened or have some good guidance?
0: Yeah, so I probably have three key things that I kind of always tell people. So the first thing is know what you don't know and always leverage your network. I think we were very surprised, kind of like when we found Rodeo CPG, that it was kind of just a random offhand connection I had that happened to have, you know, Zach on the board, actually. And so I'm sure, you know, any person, no matter what industry they used to work in or come from or whatever, they have a friend or a friend of a friend or even, you know, a cousin or an uncle or someone who knows someone. Yeah. Uh, but also knowing what you don't know, too. I think, again, we knew very early that we would need someone to help with R&D. And I think that just maybe cut through the clutter a bit quicker. So, you know, we maybe could have tried to experiment in our kitchen, but that would have taken an extra, I don't know, six months or something. Mm-hmm. And so it's it kind of more kind of being more efficient with time too. But I think the second thing too is don't be afraid to pivot. I think we were very able to kind of recognize that things weren't working or if we found new things that were working that we didn't initially thought of kind of to adopt that as well. And I think that's the benefit of startups, you know, having worked. In and with much larger, more established companies, you know, the benefit of startups is that you can change your mind tomorrow and you can, you know, turn that switch right away. Whereas if you're in a large corporation, right, there's, there's just, (laughs) you know, it just takes months to do that. And I think definitely take advantage of that while you can. And then the last thing is, I think we talked a lot about this, but don't be afraid to challenge the status quo. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just because some, you know, obviously always listen to other people's advice, but. There is something to be said where you don't have to feel obligated to do things how every other brand in the industry has done things, and, and to kind of not be afraid of challenging things if you feel like you would rather do things another way. I think it's you know requires a lot of courage and maybe confidence in what you're doing, and you're going to probably have a lot of naysayers along the way. Yes. But I think being willing and you know kind of confident enough in the vision to kind of move past that, I think it's a really strong thing and really ends up differentiating yourself. And what
1: happens when you, like for you guys, you said you'll probably get a lot of people telling you that's not the right way to go and not the right thing to do. How did you just say, I'm going to block that noise out and I'm going to do what I think is right?
0: I think it helped that we're not from the CPG industry because we're Mm -hmm. almost, in some ways, you know, I was kind of taking a playbook from what I've found has been successful for maybe brands and other companies. So my day job, I work with a lot of, you know, very hardcore industrial type companies And these are obviously, in many cases, you know, family run for generations and have made the same product for years and years and years. And so they're just like general business best practices kind of that I've kind of absorbed like over time. And so there's a lot of very basic things where I see it it working in other industries. And for whatever reason, they're just not doing it in CPG. Like it's already been proven somewhere else. So
1: I think that's such a good piece of advice because a lot of things that are happening in CPG are really old school. Exactly it needs To be changed to begin with. Yeah. So I think not being sort of like, I have to do it this way, because that's the way everyone else has always done it is a bonus because things have to change at some point.
0: Yeah. And I think the digital age in general, I think is accelerating a lot of that. I think yeah. just the fact that so many things are, especially I think accelerated because of COVID, so many things yeah. are done remotely online, digitally, yeah. however it may be. I think it's just a different world in some cases than even it was 10, 15 years ago.
1: Oh, even, or five. even five years ago. Yes. So, yes. Yeah, Yes, I mean, everything's different now. I th- also think one thing I want to talk about before we wrap up, I think it's interesting that you are both from the finance side of business and neither one of you want to raise capital. I think that's really interesting. Like, I think that could have gone the completely opposite way, right? Like you could be like, of course we have to raise capital. This is what we do and we know it. And you're saying- I know exactly how that goes and I don't want to be told what to do. And I don't want someone messing around with my vision right now. I think that's kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, I think it's just more what you want from it. So I yeah. think a lot of people go in raising money and not understanding what that might mean. Yep. And I think we, we're we in the fortunate position where we know exactly what that's going to mean for us if we take someone else's money. And so it, I think for a lot of people, it does work. But I think the pitfall of certain individuals who might not come from the finance world is they don't fully grasp the implications of, oh, you have this, you know, VC firm or family office or whatever that's now, they are part of your company. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've also been heard of many cases, right, where, you know, entrepreneurs get pushed out of their own company because they aren't doing what their investors want them to do. So, so
1: many cases of that happening and just taking money from the wrong people and not sharing a vision and then being like basically married to someone who isn't right for you, right? That's kind of what yeah. happened to so many companies. So it's interesting. And I think I personally think very smart way to go the way you guys are going.
0: And I think especially because we're going about things in such an untraditional way, it might actually scare off investors anyway. So, um, And the ones that are
1: excited by it. I mean, those are probably your people, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, anything else you want to share? I mean, I really appreciate your time. You've obviously been so generous with your time. And I think that there's a lot of good lessons in here and a lot of interesting, like maybe try something you weren't thinking you would try, which I think is cool.
0: Yeah, definitely. Again, I feel like it's very on brand for the product and for us as people, actually. So um, it's really cool to kind of see everything connect. But I I think just last thing I'll leave people with is if you are interested in maybe purchasing Papadelix Crunchy Mushroom Chips, if you want to learn more about it, you can find us at papadelix.com. That's P-O-P-A-D-E-L-I-C-S.com. There's a store locator on there. If you can try to find a store near you or you can order online, we're also on Amazon. There is a contact form there as well. We are still small enough that if you want to chat with us directly, if you send something on that form, I quite literally will check it. So definitely we're only a kind of a, I guess a submission form way too.
1: Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I think this is great. And I think that our listeners are going to get a lot of good stuff out of it. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Thanks again, Christy. I appreciate yeah. you having me.
1: Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.